All right, today's scripture comes from the gospel according to Mark, verses 1 through 11. Uh, I'm going to be reading in the ESV, and we invite you to uh, find the scripture in a pew Bible or a Bible app, or if you brought your own Bible, um, and uh, it, it will be projected behind me, uh, so if you can be ready to read that scripture, it's uh, Mark 14, 1 through 11. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during during the feast, excuse me, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured, poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them but she will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Today's uh, message is called A Beautiful Thing. So friends, one of the things that um, I want to confess to you this morning is that I um, have this problem of caring too much about what people think. I I don't know about you if this is a problem in your life, but it's something that I've definitely been working on and more than working on letting God work on in me. Um, but I'll tell you, just to kind of give you a little bit of my process, um, man, there's so many times where like, I want to do something and the immediate thought is what will other people think about that? You know, maybe like I want to post something on social media and I'm like, wait, like, will this come across as too political? You know, like, is this too like self-congratulatory? I wonder what people think. You know, and I know that I'm not the only person who thinks this way because um, there are people who talk about sort of, you know, this evolving social media thing. And one of the things that's happening is uh, this thing that people call humble bragging. You guys know what a humble brag is? So a humble brag in and of itself is super judgy. I just, just to be honest, a humble bra- to even call something a humble brag is pretty judgy. Because what you're doing is you're judging someone's motives and you're saying that what they're posting, um, like, so usually someone will post something flattering about themselves or their lives, uh, but they don't want to come across as being like arrogant or like so full of themselves. So they'll encase it in something humble. And so to give you uh, just a, an example, this is a fake humble post because it's Helen of Troy. So frustrating when a war literally breaks out over you. Ugh, man. So the, the, the humble part is saying like, oh, it's frustrating when a war literally breaks out over you. But the, the brag part is saying like, oh, all these men are fighting over me. You know, like maybe a humble brag is something like, 
oh, you know, I got up this morning and I, I wasn't wearing any makeup. I looked hideous. Well, all these guys kept hitting on me. Oh, man, isn't that so annoying when that happens? You know, so the takeaway is all these guys were hitting on you, right? <laughs> that you're beautiful. And then, you know, all these people are like, oh, you know, not exactly a surprise. Oh, you're gorge, beautiful, you know. <laughs> um, and friends, you know, for me, um, it, it is more than social media stuff. Um, it's also when I want to be generous or I want to do something like good for someone or, or loving, you know, or just to reach out to someone. Um, like, like the other week, I was thinking about like reaching out to an old friend. And I'd been thinking about this for a while, but it, it came uh, uh, across my mind because I had a favor to ask that person. And so then I went this back and forth like, wait, I do want to reach out to this person. You know, I haven't talked to this person in a really long time. But I, I also need to ask this favor. So when I ask the favor, are they going to think that the only reason why I called them was to ask the favor? That I didn't really want to genuinely reach out? And I like go back and forth and I just so overthink it. I don't know if any of you have this problem, but I have this problem also when like I mentioned last week um, that sometimes you use, uh, when you're getting off the exit, you'll see people with signs asking for money. And I overthink that too. And I'm like, oh, you know, hey, I do have some money. Maybe I'll give them some money. But, you know, what if they use it on drugs? You know, like, like I don't know what they're going to use it for. Well, you know, maybe I shouldn't judge their motives. Maybe I should just be generous. But you know what? Maybe I, I should, like, like, if I give them money, they're going to think I'm doing it out of pity. You know, maybe I'll say, God bless you. But maybe they'll think I'm only saying it because I have some religious agenda. Oh, my goodness, friends, I am so sick. Right? <laughs> I am a sick human being. And maybe you feel this way too. Even in worship, I'm like this. You know, I remember uh, growing up, I would see some people in worship, you know, when we're singing songs of praise, and they would lift their hands, you know, as they saw, sang these songs to God. And I remember I was at a retreat, and I saw these other people raising their hands. It's like, you know what? I want to raise my hands. But I wonder what other people will think of me. If I raise my hands, will they think I'm just raising my hands because other people are raising my hands? Will they think I'm trying to be super holy? Oh my goodness, it never stops, you know? Friends, I don't know about you, but even what we give to God, I mean, there is a question that is implicit in all of that. You know, maybe I do really care about looking holy, you know? Maybe I do want to appear holy. And I do care about what people think. But in all of this, with all of my mixed motives, how do I give anything to God? I'll tell you just with the raising hands thing. I just decided, you know what? I, I probably do have a mix of motives. You know, maybe there's a part of me that is very conscious that I'm being watched. I'm just going to do it anyways. And so I just started doing it. And after a while, I just stopped thinking about what other people were thinking about, you know? But friends, what about for you? Um, when we think about, you know, even showing up here at church or being a religious person or being a Christian, you know, what do we have that is genuine to give to God? There is such a big concern for many of us, maybe, about being hypocrites. Oh, man, those Christians are such hypocrites. You know, how do I be a genuine person, you know? And um, I wanted to go into the story because... I think uh, you see uh, some very self-conscious thinking. And by the way, I wanted to share 
about myself, not to make this about me, but just so you know, I have this sickness too. And so when we talk about Pharisees or scribes and these other religious people, I can't come down too hard on them because I'm just like them, right? And that, that's the only reason why I'm sharing that, friends. But also, for it, there is a character in this story who seems to me, of course, you know, I don't know all people's motives, and the Bible doesn't tell us all these things, but it seems to me that the woman in this story is someone who offers something to God in, in a much more pure way than probably I do, in a much less self-conscious way. And I want to kind of learn from her. So, so let's look at the story. So in verse 1, it was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So here you see right away, these religious leaders are very concerned about what people think about them, right? They're like, oh, well, we don't want the people to complain or to get, you know, just really rowdy. You know, and maybe there were some concerns for safety and things like that. But they're like, hey, let's not do it during the feast. Now, you might be thinking like, well, that's just out of respect, right? The feast of, um, so for the feast of unleavened bread is about Passover, right? That's why they had unleavened bread, because the Israelites were fleeing uh, from Egypt and they didn't have time for their bread to rise. So it was unleavened bread, bread without yeast, right? And so, um, you know, maybe we can say, hey, you know, this is out of respect for Passover. Let's not arrest Jesus and make a big hullabaloo, right? But the irony is by the end of this passage, what happens is that Judas, one of the disciples, will agree to betray Jesus and to deliver Jesus in a covert way. This is what they were looking for, to do it in stealth. Does anyone know, by the way, just, you know, as an aside, um, what day that uh, they decided to arrest Jesus? What day did this happen? It was on the first day of Passover, right? So clearly, they didn't really care about not doing it on Passover. What they cared about was not doing it in front of lots of people, right? And so you, you got the, the, the chief priests and the scribes on one hand trying to do something sneaky, um, caring a lot about what people think. And then we shift to the story uh, in Bethany and at the house of Simon the leper. And as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of Purnar. Who is this woman? We're going to find out later. There's actually another gospel that tells the same story, and they actually named this woman. So we'll tell you who this woman is in a moment. And so she came with uh, this alabaster flask of ointment of Purnar, and we're told it's very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. So, uh, friends, just to kind of uh, uh, help us picture this story, it's kind of weird. Because they're sitting and they're just reclining at table. You know, perhaps they're just eating, right? And then all of a sudden, this woman takes out a giant flask, right? Like, like, like it, it's got to be pretty darn big, right? And so, I mean, people probably would have noticed her bring this in, right? Like, what is that for? You know, so she brings in this giant flask and she pours it over 
Jesus' head. Again, kind of weird, right? I don't know about you. That's never happened to me at a dinner party. You know, I, I don't know if anyone's been like, oh man, David, I'm so glad you're here. And then just, you know, took a whole bunch of Calvin Klein or, you know, just, and just, you know, and then you're stinking for the rest of the meal. You know, it's kind of weird. And the people here are just aghast. They're horrified. They're like, oh my gosh, what just happened? And they're horrified because they know how much that pure nard is worth. They're like, oh my gosh, that's such a waste. And we're told that they're estimating. They're like, man, that was probably worth over 300 denarii. So a denarius, if you look at your Bibles, usually there's a little footnote. And they tell us that a denarius is what an, a worker would usually make for a day's work. So if you think about it, over 300 denarii would have been about a year's worth of wages. So friends, this probably today would have felt like maybe like thirty to $40,000 equivalent, right? Can you imagine something that costly and being wasted just in a moment, right? Getting poured on Jesus, but also getting poured on the floor. It's dripping off him. There's a puddle of pure nard on the floor. This was a, a, a very, very expensive ointment. It was actually even used in, uh, in the temple. They would use it for uh, the incense offering. Uh, there were 11 parts of the incense offering, but one of it was pure nard. It was not one of the things that was named, but probably one of the reasons why they picked nard was because it was so costly, right? And they would burn this ointment, and the, the thought was the, the, the aroma would be pleasing to the Lord. And so this woman has this offering, very costly, seems very wasteful. And they're like, hey, you could have done so much good with this. $30,000 worth of ointment? Oh my gosh, think of all the homeless people that you could have helped. All of the hungry people that you could have fed. And friends, they're not wrong, right? They're not wrong, but notice what Jesus says. He says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. Now, friends, um, I, I have a bone to pick with one of the interpretations of this passage. And, and maybe you have heard this before, too. Um, that sometimes we take that statement that Jesus made, um, that uh, you, will, you always have the poor with you, and we take that completely out of context of this passage, and we use it as, as a justification for our apathy. Basically, this is how it goes. Like, hey, you know what? Why try to fight poverty? Jesus said it himself. There's always going to be poor with you. Don't even bother. You're, you're not even going to make a dent. It's not what Jesus said, that, that you're not going to make a dent. But what Jesus actually is doing here is he's actually quoting scripture. So this comes from Deuteronomy chapter 15, uh, verse 11. And so I want to read this a little bit in context. 7 through 11, it'll give you even more context. But just for the purposes of this sermon, I'm just going to read 7 and 8. But by all means, go ahead and read 
uh, 15, 7 through 11 in full context, and it'll give you even more information about what was expected for us to do for the poor. So this is what, what, what it says. If among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. That's what he's quoting. Deuteronomy 15, 11. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Isn't that so ironic? People use that verse to close their hands, right? To justify not giving to the poor. When the actual usage of it in Scripture is the exact opposite. And in the context of what Jesus is talking about, is he saying, hey, never do anything for the poor. He definitely doesn't say that. He says, you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. Now, friends, what he says about this woman is he he says that she has done a beautiful thing to me. And then further on in verse 8, it says, she has done what she could. And so this is something that she has offered to Jesus. And what Jesus is saying, I think, in this context is, if you are that concerned about the poor, go help them. They're always here. There's always poor around you. There are plenty of people to help. So if you want to help the poor, definitely do that. And for this woman, he says she did what she could, right? With what she had, she acted. She did. And, you know, maybe for them, what they could do is to help the poor around them. But for this woman, this is what she chose to do. And he sees it as a beautiful thing. Friends, I think that there are a few things that um, have kind of stood out to me as I've been reading this passage. One is sort of um, this, this mindset of the people who are watching. And what we find out in some other scriptures, some of the, the disciples felt this way. So it's not just like the scribes and the Pharisees and these people that we normally make the bad guys. It's the disciples themselves who are judging uh, this woman and what, she've done, what she's done. And friends, I mean, to be honest, you know, I definitely think the way they do at times. Like, you know, there could have been a better usage for that money. But notice that as she's doing this thing, and Jesus is like, man, this is so beautiful. This is wonderful. Thank you so much. You know, he's so thankful for this gift. But for them, they're sitting there and they're calculating. My gosh, how much do you think that is worth? Hey, what do you think that is, pure nard? Hmm, pure, oh, that's so expensive. What's the going rate for a pure nard? I think that's about 300 denarii. Oh my gosh, you know how many poor people, like that's what's going through their head in this whole scene, right? That judging, critiquing mindset that keeps them from being able to even appreciate this beautiful thing that they're seeing, right? And friends, I'll be honest, I think that a lot of us do this. You know, in terms of judging and critiquing what other people do. You know what? There's a more efficient way to do that. There is something that will have greater impact. 
Oh man, these churches, they just sit around, you know, you're just like praying all the time, you're doing this stuff. You could go out and you could help the poor. You could go out and you could do so much more with your resources. Oh, you're going to spend $11,000 to build one house? Think about all the people here in Ann Arbor that you could help. And friends, some of those critiques weren't wrong. But I think that that mindset, I think, is a little bit dangerous in terms of judging people's motives, but also in terms of what is really the heart of what people are doing. That's what Jesus is looking at. And what he sees in this woman is beautiful. Now, friends, I want to tell you a little bit about this woman. So we're told, let's just finish the story here. In verse 8, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And it's after this that Judas Iscariot decides to betray Jesus. The implication may be that this is what pushes Judas over the edge. He's like, "Mm, I just don't get it. In one of the other Gospels, in John chapter 12, we're told that Judas was the one who was actually criticizing. He's one of the people who's very critical of this. And after this, he decides, yeah, no, Jesus, you're going down. You know, Maybe this was so incomprehensible that Jesus would so praise this extravagant, wasteful act. Friends, let's be honest, it's a waste, right? It seems like a waste to us. And yet Jesus doesn't just say, hey, this is a beautiful thing. He says, wherever the gospel is preached, what this woman has done will be proclaimed as well in memory of her. So who is this this mysterious woman, the wasteful woman? Uh, What we find out in John chapter 12 is that it is Mary of Bethany. Do you remember Mary? So Mary, it's the same Mary of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So Mary is Martha's little sister, and uh, this is not the first time she's been accused of being wasteful or, or, you know, doing something that people don't understand, right? Um, There's a story about Mary and Martha where they're hosting Jesus, and Martha is in the kitchen, uh, and she's cooking, and she's preparing the meal. She's doing her womanly task. That's what women in that society would do, is they would prepare the meal. And the men are there listening to the teaching of Jesus. And where is Mary? She's with the men. It's very interesting. Richard Rohr points out how uh, often we don't realize how countercultural this story is of breaking gender stereotypes as well, of Mary taking the role of a man sitting at a rabbi's feet and receiving teaching. That would have been a big taboo. So Martha was probably annoyed that her lazy sister was not helping her. But also, she probably was offended. Mary, what the heck are you doing? That's where the men sit. That's what the men do. Get in here with the women and fulfill your role. Right? And so, for some of us, we look at Mary and Martha, and we're like, hey, Martha's the one who's working hard. She's the one who's using her time efficiently. Look at all the people she's going to feed. But Mary, what is she doing? She's just lounging around, just sitting at Jesus' feet, doing nothing. 
What a waste. There's another word for wasteful in the Bible. It's prodigal. You guys know the, the story of the prodigal son, right? And uh, um, he's called the prodigal son because we're told that he wastes his father's inheritance. He just spends it wildly, partying, right? And then he has nothing, right? But uh, Tim Keller, he wrote a book called Prodigal God. And what he points out is that prodigal can also refer to the father in the story who so wastefully, extravagantly loves this son who is so wasteful with what he had, welcoming him back into the fold, right? And for this woman who is so prodigal in her time and so prodigal with her money, but what we're told about Mary, what it says in Scripture about Mary, is that Mary loved much. She was prodigal in her love of God. Now here's Mary, who, unlike the other people, these very well-educated, very religious, refined uh, scribes and chief priests, they're so concerned about what other people think. Mm, we don't want to offend them. Let, let's just kind of do this on the down low, right? And you, here you have Mary in front of everyone at a dinner party. So awkward. Talk about awkward, right? Awkward. Can you imagine all the Instagram posts of this? Yo, I was at this dinner party last night. You're not going to believe what happened. Man, this would have gone viral. This would have been crazy. People would have been like, what the heck is this woman doing? And she doesn't seem to care. She just wants to do this act for Jesus. You know, maybe for her, it, it, it is a kind of offering. In the same way that you would burn that nard on the altar, a pleasing aroma to God, to make Jesus also just covered in that pleasing aroma. And also we're told that Jesus himself identifies, she is anointing my body for death. Mary has an insight about what is about to happen to me. You know, and it's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. Friends, this is uh, an argument I want to make. Not argument, we're not going to get in a fight here, but it's a point I want to make. I think the reason why Mary is able to be so unselfconscious in her love is because she spent so many hours at the feet of Jesus. Because she had spent so much time with Jesus, that just other things didn't seem to matter as much. Her money didn't seem to matter as much. $30,000 down the drain, just like that. For her, it, it was like nothing. For me, man, you know, when I pass that homeless person on the street, I'm like, oh man, maybe I should give some money. And I open my wallet. And I always do it when they're not looking. I pass by and then I just kind of like go like this so they don't see what's in my wallet. Because I don't want them to see what I see. Because what I see in my wallet is I'll see a one and I see a 20. And I'm like, well, I can't give them the 20. I mean, that's just a waste of money, right? I'll give them the one, right? Or how about this? I open my wallet and there's nothing but 20s. Uh, I'm sorry, man, I have no money. <laughs> and for me, if I were to give that 20, like maybe, you know, God is really convicting me. Steve, just give the 20. Give extravagantly. 
You know, I would give that 20, but man, would it hurt. I'd be thinking about that the rest of the day. What could I have spent that 20 on? You know, it would hurt so much. But for Mary, so unselfconscious, right? She gives so freely, so extravagantly, because she seems to understand the love of Jesus. And her love for Jesus is overflowing, right? And it is a beautiful thing. Um, just going back to our thing with Mexico, by the way, I was, I was actually thinking about um, this thing that Connie typed up when we were planning the trip. And so she made this uh, presentation uh, for those who are interested in going to Mexico. And she wrote this, our mission. And so th- 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 this was something that Connie had been praying about. And she had wanted to go to Mexico to build this home for a few years, and, and it wasn't able to happen until this year. And so this is what, what Connie wrote as our mission. Gifting a home to a family living in poverty and presenting this as an offering to Jesus. I think that's so beautiful, you know? And maybe this is us doing what we can, you know? And, and if we offer this wholly as an offering, not just to this family, but we're doing it for the sake of Jesus, And I do truly think it's a beautiful thing. Friends, this sermon, by the way, uh, again, we were just going through the book of Mark, right? This sermon is not meant to justify our, (laughs) you know, giving this money uh, for for building this house. Uh, But friends, it is for us to think through. What about for us? What do we have to offer God, to give to God? Now, I would say that I would strongly recommend that you do what Mary does first, extravagantly, maybe wastefully, spend time with Jesus. Maybe for you, that's the harder part. Giving money isn't that hard. But maybe spending time with Jesus is hard. Because we do say this, right? Time is money. My time is precious. I don't have any of it to give. And sometimes we just get so offended. Does someone ever call you? and they're asking for money, I'll be honest, oftentimes I get more offended by them calling me than by them asking for money because I feel like they're wasting my time. How dare you take my time that I'm spending with my family or that I'm spending trying to relax and taking up my precious time and talking to me on the phone. And friends, maybe for some of us, you know, when we talk about spending time with God, we're like, man, I just don't have that time to give. I really don't. You know, Steve, you talk a lot about spending time with Jesus. What would that even look like? What would I do? You know, and when we try to spend that time with Jesus, it's like, oh, hey, I'm going to be really efficient in this. You know, I I used to do this. When I would spend time with God, um, I'd be like, hey, you know what? I have this sermon to prepare. Um, Yeah, let's do some sermon preparation while I'm spending my time with Jesus. Or you know what? Uh, I have that Bible study to prepare. So yeah, let's just spend this time also preparing this Bible study. And what I've come to find is that spending time with Jesus, in my life at least, has started to look like doing nothing. Doing nothing at all. And it's a weird thing because uh, what I think is happening in this passage with the people sizing up the woman's offering, looking at it and analyzing it and critiquing it and trying to figure out just how much money that ointment is worth and just how many people they can help. 
It is this way of thinking that we are all plugged into all the time that says you cannot waste anything. It has to be efficient, right? We have to do the best. We're always comparing and critiquing. And friends, I have to tell you, I think being a part of that system is what makes us worry so much about what other people think, right? We're sizing up people, so we know they're sizing us up too. And when you're part of that system, you experience that kind of low-level anxiety all the time. You're always, like, you can never just do something and just do it. You're like, hey, is anyone around? Is anyone seeing me? You know? And and, and will anyone judge me based on what I'm doing? Am I doing this in the best way? Do I look foolish? All of these things are just clicking around in your brain. But it wasn't clicking around in Mary's brain. For Mary, I don't think she was thinking much of anything. I think she was just there with Jesus. She loved Jesus so much. She's like, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do this thing for Jesus. And she did it. And friends, this is not to say that thinking is bad, but I wonder, some of our thoughts, maybe a lot of our thoughts, really how much good they're doing us. Um, I heard someone say once that 90% of our thoughts are repetitive and useless. And oftentimes, I might get that good idea to call someone or to help someone or to do something for God, And what usually happens, I feel like a little bit of discomfort and then my thoughts come charging in and my thoughts start talking me out of it, start rationalizing, start saying, well, what are people going to think, right? And oftentimes I don't end up doing that thing. So my thoughts are like, hey, why even risk yourself? Why even put yourself out there, right? And friends, for me, you know, I, I talk a lot about going out to the park or spending time in the morning. And just learning to just sit and be with Jesus and fall in love with him. And to know God's not judging you. He's not judging you as much as we are judging ourselves. And as much as we are in a system of judgment, in a world of judgment, always looking at what people do, always looking at what they wear, always looking at what they say, always thinking we know what they think. I mean, it's insanity, friends. We don't know what people's motives are, but we sure will try to guess, won't we? Right? And the only way to truly be free from that is to know what God thinks of you. And what God thinks of you is regardless, in spite of, even with all of the things in you, all of your mixed motives, He accepts you exactly as you are. Did Mary have mixed motives? I have no idea. I have no idea. All I know is Jesus accepted her gift. And friends, for us, you know, a twofold thing. I I want us to learn from Mary on both ends. That maybe there's something that we think, you know what, I just want to offer this to God. Now I want to join the praise team. Well, what are people going to think? about me joining the praise team. Oh, are you going to think I'm trying to show off? My voice is so awesome. Well, you, I, I just want to join the praise team. What were you doing to me, brain? You know? But we do this to ourselves, friends. Hey, maybe just join the praise team. You know, maybe that can just be my offering to God. You know? It doesn't have to be that. It could be so many different things. To just do it, to just give it. 
And give it as much as you can in the purity of your intentions. But let's be honest, friends. None of us have 100% pure intentions. But just like me, just kind of learning to raise my hands, after a while, you just stop thinking about what people think. You stop caring. Especially as you learn to spend time with Jesus. And that's the other thing I want to encourage you to, to, to really urge you to do. Spend more time wastefully with Jesus. You know, carve out some time, 10 minutes if you can, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and just do nothing with Jesus. Take a walk. Just enjoy. And unhook from all of those thoughts. You're going to have them. I guarantee you, when you start doing that, you're going to start having those thoughts. Oh my gosh, there's a waste of time. What am I doing? Right? But I promise you, the more you do it, the more those thoughts will disappear. You'll stop caring as much. And you'll start being more free. You can just be in the moment with God because God is in every moment. Praise team, can you guys come up? And friends, maybe we can just spend some time here with God. And maybe there's something that God has been putting on your heart I don't know. It could be something as simple as, uh, you know, I know the, um, I, I love uh, Soyoung and the ladies, what they do. Um, their, their ministry is art. And they call it Holy Art Mission. You know, sorry, Soyoung. I, I didn't tell her I was going to talk about her. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Soyoung. But uh, uh, I, I know that for them, you know, maybe, I mean, I'm guessing just when you do art, that can be a very personal thing. And to show that to other people. Um, I think can be very vulnerable. But to offer that to God and say, you know what, I'm going to make this art. and I don't really care what people think. I'm doing this for God. It's a beautiful thing. Maybe you wanted to paint a painting or draw something. You wanted to do that for God. You're like, oh, but there's so many more things I could be doing with my time. And so, so many more efficient things I could be doing. Friends, maybe just do it. That'd be a beautiful thing you could do. Oh, all I do at church is I just hand out the bulletins. It doesn't seem like much. I'm going to go to uh, vacation Bible school. There's a hundred other volunteers. What am I doing there? Let's just offer what you have. What you have, give. And that's a beautiful thing to God. Just give that to Jesus. And he will be pleased with that. So friends, maybe let's just take a moment. And, you know, if there's something that God is putting on your heart, you know, you can very prayerfully use your phones. Make a schedule. You know, put it in your phone. Hey, you know what? I want to do this thing for God. You know? Oh, man, there, there's that, that cause that I wanted to give to. You know, I wanted to sponsor that child. You know? Maybe I can do that as an offering to God. You know? So, friends, let's use this time. Let's give our very selves to God. Let's give what we have as a beautiful gift to our Savior. as uh, we are in this time of prayer 
maybe it's hard to think about you know, what we can offer to God. But maybe you can also think about this. Mary's was an extravagant gift, worth so much. I think maybe part of the reason why it's told with the gospel is because that's what Jesus did for us. He gave an extravagant gift, the gift of His life. He paid in blood, in tears. He paid with His very life there on that cross. Remember how you have been extravagantly loved by Jesus, and in every moment, God is giving of Himself to you. His very Spirit is extra- extravagantly available to you in this moment. So let's receive that, friends. Precious God, we praise you and we thank you for being the extravagant God that you are. God, it doesn't make sense how you love us. It doesn't make sense how you forgive us. It doesn't make sense how you give so much, Lord, to us. And God, knowing ourselves, we are so stuck in this system that it is always evaluating and critiquing and judging. And God, we second guess ourselves, and we talk ourselves out of doing just about anything that is challenging or difficult, or is sacrificial. But God, may we learn as we spend time with you all about your extravagant love. May it unplug us from this system of critiquing and judging and comparing. Lord, may we just be your children. Receive that gift. It is a gift. We cannot earn it. It is not about tallying up scores, figuring out if we deserve it, if we've done enough. You just have given it out of your loving care. Thank you so much, God. Lord, for any of us who want to offer something to you, God, we want to humbly offer it, like that child. Making that artwork for their parents. That maybe it's not some Rembrandt or some work of art that will hang in a museum. But Lord, we know that it makes our parents smile. God, we know that what we have to offer you, God, it makes you smile. You are pleased with it, God. God, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to give our beautiful things to you. Thank you, God, for being the God of love that inspires us to love you back and to love those around us. And as we love those around us, God, may we do that as an offering to you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Let's all rise.